This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today we are looking at the problem of disproportionality in the special education system. There is a disproportionate number of students of color within the special education system. This disproportionality is most present in the three high incidence categories, learning disabilities, emotional behavioral disorders, and intellectual disabilities. Now, these categories tend to have the most stigma attached to them. They're also the most subjective categories. Here, a teacher referral is a necessary part of the identification process. However, teacher bias related to what is, quote, normal, unquote, is one of the factors that lead to this disproportionality. However, varying forms of bias and subjectivity exist in all parts of the process used to determine students' eligibility for special education services, including teacher referral, testing, and team meetings. Within the larger educational system, there are disproportionate numbers of students of color involved in disciplinary action, suspensions, school dropout rates, involvement with the legal system, and poverty. This disproportionality correlates with other aspects of society, such as poverty, poor housing, low-level and low-paying jobs, unemployment, insufficient health care, single-parent households, and rates of incarcerations. These are just some of the variables that serve to disadvantage and restrict people of color. Now, Fulbright Anderson, Lawrence Sutton, Susie, and Kubai define structural racism as this, and this is an example of structural racism. We use the term structural racism to define the many factors that contribute to and facilitate the maintenance of racial, racial inequities in the United States today. A structural racism analytic framework identifies aspects of our history and culture that have allowed the privileges associated with whiteness and the disadvantages associated with color to endure and adapt over time. It points out the ways in which public policies and institutional practices contribute to inequitable racial outcomes. It lays out assumptions and stereotypes that are embedded in our cultural that, in effect, legitimize racial disparities, and it ultimately illuminates the ways in which progress toward racial equity is undermined. Structural racism. Now let's look at two of these high incident categories in which students of color are disproportionately represented or overrepresented. A disability, by the way, is a social construct. A learning disability is an educational construct. A learning disability is said to exist when there is a discrepancy between a student's expected ability and his or her achievement in one of seven areas. Basic reading skill, reading comprehension, listening comprehension, oral expression, written expression, math calculation, and mathematical reason.
The U.S. Department of Education defines specific learning disability as this, a disorder in one or more of the basic psychological processes involved in understanding or in using language, spoken or written, which disorder may manifest itself in imperfect ability to listen, think, speak, read, write, spell, or do mathematical calculations. You get the idea. But a learning disability is a educational construct. However, I have trouble with this because learning is a natural human conditions. Humans are hardwired to do it. We do it from the day we are born until we are, until we die. The term learning disability has meaning only in the artificial confines of a school environment. However, humans eventually leave the school petri dish and enter the re real world. Thus, schools must be very careful not to define any student's potential by giving him or her a label such as learning disability, when in fact, sometimes what is called a learning disability might actually be a learning certain kinds of things disability or a learning things you don't want to learn disability, or a learning in ways that are unnatural disability, or a learning not as fast as you think students should learn disability, or a teaching disability, or an educational systems disability, or a bad things happening at home disability, or an overcrowded classroom disability. Now let's take a look at emotional behavioral disorders. An emotional behavioral disorder might be said to exist when one's emotions or behaviors get in the way of learning and participating in the learning environment. Again, the U.S. Department of Education defines this disorder as thus an established pattern of one or more of the following emotionally, emotional or behavioral responses. One, withdrawal or anxiety, depression, problems with mood or feelings of self-worth. Two, disordered thought processes with unusual behavior patterns and atypical communication styles. Or three, aggression, hyperactivity, or impulsivity. You know, it's the subjectivity of all these things depending on what your assumption of normal is. This high incident disability category is subjective to teacher bias and cultural norms for the initial referral for special education placement. However, many behavioral, quote, disorders, unquote, can be undiagnosed mental health conditions, or they might be students' natural reactions to adverse conditions. The special education system seems to be designed to deal only with the B in EBD and not the E. That is, it addresses behaviors rather than the cause of behaviors. Now, if teachers are emotionally present and attuned to the social, emotional, physical, and safety needs of all their students, many of these behaviors do not present themselves. They do not appear. And of course, smaller class sizes enable teachers to better help students through these difficult times. This has been another episode of the Reading Instruction Show.